When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. We're broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today. Um, We're going to talk about a a rather concerning development in, in the area of cyberspace and cybersecurity, and that is the growing phenomena of ransomware. And um, it, it has become um, increasingly a threat, as we saw earlier this year, when a Hollywood hospital was shut down for several days because of ransomware. And uh, in addition, um, the FBI has seen fit to issue a warning, um, asked the ABA, American Bar Association, to is- issue a warning to law firms about the threat of ransomware. And in September, the um, Federal Trade Commission actually will be holding uh, a workshop on ransomware and what exactly it means and the threat it poses. So we have with us today um, Brad Taylor, who is the CEO of Proficio, which is a um, company up in Carlsbad, California. Brad, are you with us? I'm here. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. So, Brad, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Proficio? Sure. Thank you very much, Bennett. Uh, Proficio is a managed security services company, and we help a lot of companies to uh, monitor and detect threats and compromises and targeted attacks to their organizations. And then we help them to actually respond to those threats and provide prevention for uh, security attacks. Uh, We work with a lot of uh, mid-sized companies and large enterprises and across different vertical environments uh, from healthcare companies. Uh, through law firms, through financial services companies, banks, utilities, and uh, manufacturers as well. And um, and I'm I'm correct, you're based in Carlsbad? Yes, we're based in Carlsbad, California. We have customers throughout the United States and Asia Pacific. We have security operations centers in California and in uh, Singapore. And for those um, listening, um, as usual on our our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. We have um, show notes and information about Brad and Proficio. Um, so, Brad, the the issue of ransomware it it seems like you know, it's such an effective um, and malignant tool. Why is it that this wasn't a problem sooner? Um, you know, it's a good question, and I think. Uh, you know, ransomware, like many effective uh, attacks on organizations, is it was taking a you know, well-known technology, which is encryption and uh, public key uh, infrastructure capabilities, 
and migrating it to an attack vector. And so criminals actually figured out that they can uh, lock up a person's files or you know, entire file systems and, uh, and then lock up the computer to tell somebody you need to pay uh, the uh, key to decrypt the files. And if you don't pay, they throw away the encryption key. And I think what they've figured out is a way that they can get paid anonymously through Bitcoins. So the combination of using you know, Bitcoin technology to you know, get anonymous payment and the ability to provide encryption uh, in a way that uh, was getting behind or under the radar of detection technologies and prevention technologies uh, allowed them to begin to, to sample uh, ways to put together you know, this ransomware variant. And, uh, and it's been very, very effective. And it's very difficult for something like antivirus or uh, some type of perimeter-based security to actually detect it. One of the, the biggest advantages uh, for hackers with ransomware is it's a N plus one type of a change to the type of malicious code that's being uh, put on the end user's device or on a server someplace. And by that, what I mean is a lot of technologies, both in perimeter of the network and on desktops or, or endpoints, are trying to look for signatures uh, of a virus or signature of malicious code. And what happens with ransomware is they change a couple of bits in the code and it makes the signature look completely, or the hash of that uh, software look completely different. So it's not discovered by normal methods. So it keeps coming under the radar. And I think, you know, every probably 90 days, you'll see almost a, a million different new variants of, you know, common types of ransomware. So it's a very challenging uh, type of a, a new attack vector for people to try and keep up with. And and for th- those listening and who may be unfamiliar with ransomware, it is a, for lack of a better, you know, for a common in a nutshell, it, it's it is a virus or um, some malicious code that basically locks someone's computer and requires some form of payment or tribute in order to unlock that system. Yes. So the simplest form would be I send you an email, um, you know, and the email might have a, uh, a spreadsheet on it or it might have a, a PDF, you know, and the PDF might be an invitation to, you know, a party we're having. Right. Uh, you download the PDF, you look at the PDF, and uh, within that you're also uh, downloading malicious code or malware onto your endpoint device that you're unaware of. Uh, that uh, malicious code will then execute on your device uh, as an application, and it will search your file systems. It will also search everything that your file system is connected to. So you may have files on you know servers in your corporation. You may have files on servers at home. You may have you know file shares you know in cloud-based services. And once the software finds all of those files and all those file shares that you have connected to your device. It will encrypt them, and then once it encrypts them, it kicks off a, another a service that will pop up a screen on your desktop or laptop, and it will tell you that your files have been encrypted in typically 72 hours or 48 hours or something like that to deposit a certain amount of Bitcoins into a, a Bitcoin account, and it will tell you how to do that, and, and then uh, you are on the clock. 
uh, and waiting for uh, payment before they try and send you back the key if you ever get the key. Uh, so works. Uh, on that, when did this first become, I guess, for lack of a better term, a thing? You know, when did did this people notice that this was occurring on a regular basis? Uh, I would say you know it, it's it's around for a couple of years, um, but it's it's gotten better and better uh, from the attackers at how they actually are tricking people into actually downloading or getting the code onto their endpoints, and it's also gotten better in how effective it is at mapping your file shares, and it's gotten better at how the encryption technology works. So, you know, like all good hacking tools, they tend to evolve as they work. And uh, so, you know, a couple of years ago, probably, you know, two or three years ago, we began to see uh, you know, certain uh, ransomware occurring. Uh, we saw it in Asia Pacific first, and then we saw it kind of migrate, you know, to the U.S. And it had a two-step process. So it would uh, connect uh, some type of malicious code to the to the endpoint to your desktop laptop, uh, and then it would communicate out. The code would communicate out to the attacker. So it would say, "Hey, I've got uh, a system, or I've got a desktop," and it would let the hacker know that it's got a desktop. Then the hacker would send down the encryption key and say, "Okay, now go encrypt everything." So it was kind of a two or three step process. And that gave uh, companies time to detect that they had malware on a system and do something about it to contain it. You know, you'd block the communication to the attacker at the firewall, or you'd take the system, you know, offline, or you could do something if you had, you know, detection that was quick. Well, then uh, the attacker said, okay, well, instead of, you know, doing a two or three step process, we'll just send the encryption keys. Uh, that are required to encrypt the files down to the software and have the software go through these processes to once it finds the files and file shares, just encrypt them, uh, you know, go ahead and, and launch the account information for the uh, Bitcoin deposits and then communicate out to the attacker to let them know that the files are encrypted. If you don't have the ability to communicate out to the attacker, it doesn't matter, the files are encrypted and and, you know, if the Bitcoin show up, you know, great. If they don't, uh, you know, files are still encrypted and, and the hacker doesn't really care. And so it's just, it's gotten better and better over time. Um, <laughs> from, from some perspectives, yes. I, and uh, earlier this year, we saw a wave of attacks on hospitals. And is there a reason why hospitals were particularly um, chosen for for the attacks or... You know, obviously, we understand the hospitals and medical institutions are very high-value targets just in terms of the richness of the data they keep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good question. And um, if you look at it from a perspective of, you know, why are hackers attacking, you know, any organization, uh, historically, if you look at all the breach reports, about 69 to 70% of attacks are based on financial gain. And so attackers are looking for how they can monetize their attacking. You know, it used to be attacking companies where they can get credit cards, and then there was the process for, you know, best practices in protecting the credit card information. Uh, then attackers started attacking, actually, healthcare companies uh, for information related to uh, PHI, or, you know, private healthcare information, which also contain identity information like your Social Security number, your date of birth, your address, all of those types of things that they can then steal your identity or file your tax return based on that information. 
And I think attackers were discovering that in the healthcare arena, it was a little bit more of a soft target than retail arena, the financial services area that had really strong security controls and compliance regulations and processes in place. And most of the healthcare uh, environment was not as secure because, you know, one, they'd spent many, many years trying to go from manila folders and written handwritten notes over to the digital world with electronic healthcare records information. So it was a big wave to get everything electronic. And I think lagging behind that was security controls and, you know, people in process in place to do that. There have always been compliance regulations for healthcare, but there haven't been audits, you know, from third parties that were performed until just the last year or two. And the audits really haven't shown a lot of teeth in those audits. And so, you know, because of those things, there hasn't been a, a, a real pressure to get as secure as some of the other areas. Now, we're seeing that pick up quite a bit now, but I think going after healthcare organizations allowed, you know, kind of a softer target. The reason that they're also going after those organizations is the data is critical to the operations of the business, as we saw at, uh, you know, Hollywood Presbyterian, when people can't, when doctors can't get access to files that have information about patients, they can't take action, uh, you know, for those patients, you know, in critical care environments and places where you actually, you know, need to make a decision based on information, you know, that's relevant today and you can't get access to that information. You know, you've got to take, you know, charge of getting that information access. So something like ransomware, uh, if it attacks those environments that, you know, haven't been backed up properly, don't have the you know, proper controls to get access to the data in another way, um, you know, it's, it's very dangerous for a healthcare organization. And so what happened, you know, with Hollywood Presbyterian, which was a major differentiation, is, uh, you know, my understanding is, they actually paid the ransom. So they paid the fee when the first thing that, you know, the FBI and everybody else tells you to do is don't pay it uh, because you're going to set a precedent and then the attackers will go after everybody else. So I think, you know, once the word got out that, hey, they were in trouble, they couldn't recover, they paid the fee, you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now now we have a a target we think is softer and we know they're going to pay. So that's where we're going to direct our efforts. And um, a lot of combination. The the Hollywood one was coupled with a, another a, a bunch of them right around the same time some in DC and across the country so it really seemed to be a wave targeting this one sector mm-hmm. yeah and i think you know again it was just the uh, the fact that they said hey we we have a, a sector that has you know critical information access requirements uh and and most people say the first thing you have to do to protect against malware, uh, excuse me, not malware, but uh, ransomware, is you have mm-hmm. to do proper backups. So that's the first thing. Then you have to have proper controls as to who has access to certain files. You shouldn't have open shares across your entire environment. So those are, you know, one is, is protection. If, if, it, if you do get it, assuming that you will, you know, you have a way to recover. And the second is uh, controlling access to the environment so that it's contained at some level, if somebody does, you know, get a system that's that's corrupt uh, or that's infected, um, and in the healthcare arena, I think they just found that they weren't moving as fast as you know other environments, and the access to data was critical. So, you know, once those two things were out, you know, then there's a race by all the attackers that are using ransomware to go after that sector, 
And I think you just saw, you know, just a, a massive uh, attack in that environment. And from the healthcare organizations that we work with, uh, you know, we saw it tick up a lot and we saw the response all the way at the board level to start asking the CIOs and the chief security officers, you know, what are we doing about this specific attack? You know, are we protected if we uh, are targeted? Are we protected if it happens to us? You know, what are our controls? What are you doing about it? And so it's been a, a board level issue for probably the last six months now and, and uh, maybe even more. And so we talked about payment. What is the ballpark of what has been demanded of some of these hospitals? Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, it started off going after more individuals and it would be, you know, $100, $500 worth of Bitcoins. And then they started, uh, you know, getting successful at individuals. So they started saying, you know, the attackers that says, uh, let's go after organizations. And they would start to ask for things like 5000 or 10000 We saw some companies, you know, getting hit, you know, asking for like 100000 200000 and nobody was paying the hundred to two hundred thousand, so we saw it come back down, you know, to that twenty-five to fifty thousand dollar range. And what we're seeing is, you know, where's the watermark where people? So I think, you know, they're they're doing their business analysis and judging, uh, you know, where are we going to get paid? Uh, it's easier to pay than it is to recover, um, and it's easier to uh, you know pay than it is to. Uh, uh, you know, do the investigation, do everything else. So I think, you know, we're seeing it in, you know, for organizations and hospitals in that 5 to 50K range. And, uh, you know, most people obviously don't pay because they can recover from it. Uh, some people will, and it's just a, a lot of numbers at this point. You know, I wonder if, if this keeps getting continuing, whether we'll have, like, the equivalent of the uh... – you know the Wall Street Journal Prime Rate Index. If there'll be a what you know today's Bitcoin ransomware payment index is, um, but hopefully not. But um, after this wave of attacks, um, the FBI reached out to the American Bar Association, you know, the National Association for American Lawyers, to issue a warning and some information on this phenomena and why do you think that was and why this why particularly that sector um you know i I think for you know uh the warning to the law sector the warning to the uh healthcare sector the the warning that one went one went out to just through the aba the aba reached did fbi reached out to the aba and said okay um get the word out um, yeah, I, I really, you know, wouldn't want to speculate on why the ABA, I would think, you know, most often attackers are looking for collecting the information, uh, from, you know, law firms and, and legal entities because they're looking for m you know, attackers are looking for m information, they're looking for intellectual property, you know, that might be, you know, accompanying with patent, you know, filings, they, you know, maybe looking for information about, uh, you know, other interesting, you know, things that are happening, you know, in major organizations that they could use for monetary gain. And so they're looking to get the information and exfiltrate the data. Uh, it's, it, uh, you know, it's more interesting that, you know, they would go after law firms to actually lock up the data, you know, in, in essence, destroying the data. Um, and I think they may be, you know, thinking that, you know, in the, in the legal environment, they, you know, might not have the, again, the proper backup of their information. 
And, you know, if it takes a tremendous amount of information and hours to create your information and create your, your you know, case files, uh, for them to be you know, destroyed, uh, you know, would be a, an enormous cost to the law firm. So, you know, wherever there's cost, then there's opportunity to hold something at ransom, if you will. Um, but I haven't seen from the law firms that we work as much of a target to law firms as we have to healthcare because it's it's more important to the critical operation of the business and the nature of, of hospitals and what they uh, are responsible for as it is to the critical nature of, of the law firm, uh, which is, you know, they can gather the information, you know, again, somewhere. It's just a matter of time. Okay. Time isn't as much of the essence as healthcare. One thing time is of the essence is we must take a break at this point, but we'll be back and talking more on the issue of ransomware after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Report on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at wmetraining.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're um, talking to Brad Taylor of Proficio of Carlsbad, California, about ransomware. And um, so, Brad, we were talking just before the break, about how this is starting to reach law firms. And uh, and we have this whole event where the FBI actually wants to warn law firms. Do you, do you guys work with law firms in, in, your, in your business? Uh, we have a few that we uh, work with where we provide some security monitoring detection and uh, prevention solutions for. And, and so um, it, I know this is generalizations are bad, but it, is the, do you think the legal industry is, is particularly vulnerable um, in this area because maybe sometimes they're not necessarily the most early adopters? 
Yeah, I would think, well, one is they have a lot of data. Uh, so, you know, somebody that has, you know, a lot of data that they have a uh, high dollar uh, worth on their data, you know, is going to be uh, a target. Uh, if somebody also is uh, not in an environment where they have uh, regulatory compliance for their security controls that are well defined, uh, they also might be more of a target as well. Um, so in a lot of environments, you know, like... Um, you know, the uh, retail environment, they have very well-defined best practices for security with a lot of audits and compliance uh, requirements. Uh, financial institutions have the same. Uh, legal firms don't have that same level of scrutiny from external sources. You know, it's more their uh, customers, if you will, that require certain levels of controls. Um, so I think that might be, you know, one reason is they're not as... Um, uh, focused on providing security in their environment, uh, as you would see in, in a lot of other uh, organizations that have a lot of compliance regulations. And uh, however, I'm um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, however, um, they do, you know, implement as we've seen, you know, many of the uh, best practices like defense in depth. Uh, they are, uh, you know, the law firms that we're working with. They do have controls over. Uh, who has access to certain files uh, and certain systems, and they uh, are very concerned about their security. Um, I just don't know if they're as diligent as other organizations because they don't have the uh, checks and balances as some of the other companies that we deal with do. Well, there is one other thing that, you know, take, for example, the medical data. Medical data has is, is very rich in terms of, you know, this the information that is useful for identity theft or you know, exploitation, and um, but it's it's rich in volume. Um, law firm data, and if you get, uh, you know, if you're able to get a win- peek into and see a potential public offering or a potential merger, you know, something that's non-public that affects the market you can get a huge windfall from that. And you know, there already have been, there have been prosecutions mm-hmm. for, in essence, insider trading by people getting access to this information, either hacking or through other means, and then trading on it. And so uh, if, it seems to be the, the logical extension you know, of ransomware that would be to target such a rich target as this. Absolutely. I, I, like I, I think I said before, I, I can see uh, attackers targeting law firms because of the rich information they have, uh, specifically in what we would call targeted attacks, where mm-hmm. you know the information you're going after, uh, you know why you want the information, you know what you're going to do with it. Uh, and it's you know, very specific information, as you mentioned, uh, about you know, maybe a transaction or intellectual property or events. Uh, as opposed to, you know, going to find 60 million credit card numbers or 60 million right. identities. You know, they're looking for, you know, the one very important thing that uh, they want to act on and they know what they're going to do about it. So those are very well planned and very targeted attacks. And I think those are uh, looking to get certain types of data. And there's a lot of ways to get, you know, that data. Um, I think it's a little bit different than ransomware, where they're looking to destroy the data unless you pay them to recover it. Um, and so there's 
you know, a, a bit of a different precedence on, on sure, that. Good point. Um, but as you mentioned, the, uh, the attack vectors are interesting when you're looking for the type of data that an attacker would look for at a law firm. So what we've seen is, you know, there's the normal attack methods, which are you know, looking for ways through your firewall. Uh, there are normal uh, methods of doing, you know, phishing type attacks, which are email uh, attacks uh, targeting certain individuals to get them to, you know, download a file or click on a link so they can infect their machine. And, you know, once you get access to the machine, then you can you know, do things inside the organization. But the other thing that we're seeing, which is interesting, uh, we saw over the last year is attackers actually going after your phone systems and going after your video conferencing systems. So a large, uh, you know, a lot of uh, large uh, law firms will actually have video conferencing systems. They'll have, you know, and I don't want to just pick on Polycom, but, you know, they'll have um, the, um, you know, phone systems that have of advanced capabilities, voice over IP phones. Uh, sometimes you'll have, you know, the ability to record conversations. And so attackers can actually attack into these video conferencing systems and, and uh, phone systems and get a lot of data that way as well. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, capabilities in recording messages, uh, listening in on video conferences, you know, getting, you know, the data in that uh, fashion also. And we've seen, you know, a large uh, increase in that over the last year as well. So if lawyers talked less, they'd be safer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but, uh, you know. It has, it's never so been tried, so you don't know. But... Um, Right. <laughs> but uh, so what how does someone protect themselves against ransomware? What is what are some of the best practices that people should be following? Sure. And there's been, you know, a lot of information from a lot of the you know, security companies that, uh, you know, are out in the marketplace that have all put out white papers on on ransomware and, and how to. Uh, protect yourself from you know this uh, new environment and evolving environment. Uh, we have one on our uh, website at uh, uh, proficio.com and, and many others. You know, like FireEye, Mandiant, and CrowdStrike, and others also have that type of information. But the the first thing you want to do is make sure you're backing up your files. So the assumption always is if somebody is going to target you, somebody is going to be successful. And so what are you going to do if that happens to you? So backing up your files is the first thing. You know, you should do it at home and you should do it in your business. Um, that's number one. The next thing you should do is you should really look at your uh, file systems, all the way from individuals through uh, groups of users and, uh, you know, all throughout the corporation and understand what network file shares you have in place who has access to certain files through your file shares and what your right permissions are. So if you set up a file share environment, you know, just straight out of the box in many cases, you know, too many people have too much access to too many files and they're all connected. Uh, too many people also have administrative privilege and right privilege to all those files. And so if one machine uh, gets infected, the file shares can go across many, many, many servers. Uh, and in some cases, we've seen hundreds of servers uh, all get encrypted, you know, within five minutes uh, instead of just the one that's infected. So, you know, the propagation throughout a network can be very significant if you don't have proper controls on your access to file share. So those are two basic things. Beyond that, you really need to do your general security uh, defense and monitoring detection 
solutions. So the things that we always recommend is make sure all of your security controls are up to date and they're updated on a, if you can, daily basis. So your, your antivirus needs to be updated. Uh, your perimeter security and your intrusion detection capabilities need to be updated. Um, your uh, other types of defense that you have in your security controls need to be updated on your servers. Uh, so all of those need to be updated because security companies are trying to keep up as fast as they can with the different variants of malware. And so you want to make sure that you're getting hit by an old variant that there is a security control for. Uh, the next thing that we always recommend is um, doing a simulated attack. So, uh, you know, hire a company to come in and do a test of your environment and your users. So, you know, do uh, something that an attacker would do. Send out email to critical people. Find out if they have click on the file. Click on the link. Uh, find out if somebody does get an infected system how far that can propagate without encrypting, obviously, your files. Um, so find out, you know, what the liability is and then train your users. Let them know that, you know, you shouldn't be doing certain things because the user is always the easiest target and the hardest one to control. Uh, and then, you know, the last thing you always have to be doing is once you have security controls in place, you need to monitor them uh, consistently and then update and, and manage your security controls as you detect uh attackers that are organization devices and then make sure your incident response capabilities are very quick and up to date so that you can respond to those attacks as well so they don't propagate and, and those are the basic uh things you need to do now you're you're coming from a a, uh, a software solution perspective but to what extent is the success of a solution like this or any, any effort to to guard against ransomware or similar type of attacks, to what extent is that dependent on not necessarily the the software you you implement, but on um, the people you train and, and how you train them um, to understand to be, you know, to be uh, aware. Good, good point. Excellent point. The the end user is always the least common denominator. Uh, and attackers are really getting, you know, good. I hate to say this, but they're getting good at how they, you know, do social engineering of their attacks. Uh, it used to be that when, you know, somebody would send out a, a phishing email or email trying to, you know, get your chief financial officer to, to wire transfer, you know, $100,000 to somebody, the English would be bad. Uh, you know, they'd misspelled names, they'd misspelled words, the you know, English would be, you know, improper, like it was, you know, done through a Google translator or something. And what you're finding now is that English is very good in the emails and the communications uh, that are being sent to end users. Um, so you have to let your know that, you know, the English is getting better. So be aware of what's going on and use common sense. Um, the other thing is, you know, the golden rule is never click on anything, even if you think it's from somebody you know, because I can send somebody a, a LinkedIn request where it looks like a LinkedIn request. And, you know, you have the, the picture of someone and you know, say, hey, I'm a new marketing intern. And it will say, you know, check the profile or just accept. Most people say, oh, I'm not going to hit the accept button. I'm going to check the profile with you click the check the profile button to launch LinkedIn to see who this is, uh, you'll launch LinkedIn, but you're also downloading malware. So anything you can click in an email 
essentially has the capability of downloading some type of malicious code on your, your system. So, you know, the best training is don't ever click on any of those and don't trust anything. You know, if you really want to click on something, contact the person that sent it to you and ask if they sent it to you, you know, kind of a double check. And people just don't want to do that. They think that naturally certain things should be trusted and, you know, they click away and you're, you're, you're going to get infected. So continuous training, uh, continuously, you know, telling your end users of the methods and the, the types of things that are coming out in the industry. I mean, the one simple one is I think, you know, probably 25 or 30% of your users have gotten a call uh, from somebody saying that, hello, this is Microsoft support. And we got a notification from your system that you have a virus on your, on your desktop. And, you know, it's somebody posing as Microsoft support that will come and download malware on your, your computer for you and then take control of your computer. And Microsoft never calls anybody to do that. It's never going to be Microsoft. But we see that that type of a, of an attack is, is very, very common uh, in, the, in just the public, you know, not even in corporations. Uh, so the social engineering aspects are evolving, they're getting better, and, and we need to educate uh, our end users and, and educate the companies on, you know, these types of uh, progression of, of capabilities. And sometimes is it necessary to have, I guess, for lack of a better word, a a champion within the company to kind of be the leader and to get people focused. I mean, is, is how important is having one, one guy in, in a point position um, leading the effort on the client side? Um, yeah, it, it's very important because if you don't have somebody that ultimately has ownership, then, uh, then you're resulting in, Hope is a strategy. And when it comes to security, hope is not a strategy. Um, so what we found is different organizations will have the responsibility for security or for security awareness uh, that either roll up into the IT organization or sometimes into the CFO and the operations group. So uh, a lot of times training and education and policy will roll up into the risk management organization within large organizations. And that often will roll up into the chief financial officer. Uh, sometimes uh, security in general will roll up into the uh, IT organization or the chief information officer. And then they will also have a program responsibility for educating the users. Uh, so it's usually you know, either IT or the, uh, the uh, chief financial officer. But what we're also seeing uh, more and more is these are board-level discussions. And boards are asking you know, what are we doing for visibility of the security controls that we have in place and all the money we've spent over the last few years and all these new security controls? And that's a tough question to ask a, a CIO, security officer, are our controls working and how do you know? You know, they have to have ways to monitor and measure those controls. Uh, boards are also asking, you know, the same questions. What are we doing about ransomware? How do we know? And then how are we educating our users on these uh, you know, things that are occurring uh, through, uh, you know, different types of attacks and, and social engineering. So it's become a board-level discussion, and then it depends on the organization owns it. But you're right, somebody needs to take ownership and, and then manage the process from there. And, and when you talk to people about ransomware, I mean, are, are you finding that they're, they're fairly well-informed or they're comp- they basically are, 
are starting at zero and, and really need to be brought up to speed? Um, people are getting uh, better informed uh, over the last, I would say, three to four. There's been a lot more emphasis on it. You're seeing a lot more. Uh, just the, the amount of press coverage uh, has increased uh, quite a bit. You know, as evidenced by our discussion today. Right. Uh, a lot of security companies are now saying, hey, we've got a solution for ransomware or we've got a white paper on what you need to do to protect yourself from ransomware. Uh, you know, the bad news is, is there's no silver bullet in any of them. You know, they're just all pieces of a, you know, protection puzzle. Uh, and so it's a cat and mouse game with, you know, companies that are providing security and companies that are attacking. Um, but we think that the, uh, the success of ransomware is increasing the attacks. It's also increasing the awareness. And uh, by increasing the awareness, people are increasing their controls. So we think that it is getting better. Corporations are, uh, you know, addressing it and trying to protect themselves. Uh, end users are being uh, told and being trained and become more and more aware uh, every uh, penetration test, every security assessment that we've been asked to do over the last at least six months has had a line item in for uh, testing for social engineering and ransomware specifically. Uh, so companies are, you know, getting the message. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of, you know, as you call it, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which is, uh, you know, not any way that you want to plan your security controls, but there is a lot of that out in the marketplace uh, related to ransomware because there's still, you know, no one golden fix, uh, you know, for that particular uh, type of an attack. Well, we're going to take a short break, and um, when we come back, we're going to wrap up and going to learn more about how people can find out more about to protect themselves from ransomware with Proficio. Um, but after these messages, you're listening to Cyberlon Business Report only on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Great websites today need expert design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. 
TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com. That's S-P-Y-F-U.com. And start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back, and uh, a little bit of news. There's a, another earthquake has struck Ecuador, um, 6.7 magnitude. It comes a month after a 7.8 uh, magnitude earthquake actually killed 650 people, and so our, our prayers go out to everyone there, and hopefully um, the damage isn't as severe as last month. I um, want to give a shout-out to uh, a colleague, Eric Bradley, who um, died suddenly over the weekend. He was uh, um, quite a remarkable person and uh, had a very great career in politics and uh, as a leader in Southern California. Um, his death came, took everyone by surprise, so uh, my condolences to his family. And uh, we have a little bit of information on him on the um, on our show notes. And then finally, today is International Museum Day, and uh, something I wasn't even aware existed. But uh, you can follow it on Twitter; it's one of the hashtags, and see people posting some of their favorite museums. And uh, we've I've done the same. It's on our um, again on the show notes, and we've listed some of the museums. And there's there's so many to choose from, but I, I just put. Um, couple of museums I found really interesting, and particularly ones in L.A. is the, the Japanese-American um, National Museum. Uh, very interesting in terms of understanding both California history and Japanese-American history. Um, but it actually details the, immig- the whole immigrant experience in California. Um, I put the um, John F. Kennedy Museum, but I think any presidential museum is very interesting to attend. Um, art museums are great. One of my favorite is the Dolly Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida. And if you've ever go to Washington, you have to go to the Newseum, um, which is a museum on news and uh, relatively recent. And it's a beautiful building right on um, Pennsylvania Avenue. So, Brad, what about you? What's one of your favorite museums? Yeah, a couple of my favorite, you know, the, the one that's really popular with everyone is the Louvre in Paris, and then uh, the Getty Museum in Los Angeles is, is always an interesting museum. Uh, either one of the Gettys, the, the older one with classic uh, type of uh, uh, architecture and classic uh, medieval uh, statues, and, or the one that's up on the hill above uh, the Hollywood area is also really interesting with its architecture and some of the uh, things that are there as well. Those are, I mean, two museums that are just really hard to top. Um, incredible institutions. So, um, but speaking of institutions, you know, one institutions that you guys must work with is uh, insurance. 
And are, are they playing a, a role in um, making companies take the cybersecurity uh, more seriously? Um, yes, they are. So, uh, you know, the cyber, cyber security insurance, uh, I think everyone has seen has really been, uh, you know, on the climb and people are looking for ways to, uh, you know, get insurance for uh, catastrophic events that do happen. Um, and the security companies that we've talked with have a list of best practices that will reduce your security rates, uh, your, your price rates. So if you're uh, following certain best practices, if you, for instance, uh, have certain controls, if you have a uh, log collection of those security controls and security logs and provide uh, 24 by 7 security monitoring and uh, reaction and incident response to those, uh, you actually can get lower uh, insurance rates for your cybersecurity. So it stands to reason that the companies that have the, the best security controls, monitoring, and uh, reaction would have lower rates in the companies that don't have as good of controls or higher risk and therefore higher rates. And so uh, I think those two go hand in hand. And that's important because one of the things that I think has been a problem in addressing cybersecurity is this lack of market incentives, I think, because you know, it's something that just seems to happen. And I mean, granted, there, there's some serious consequences if it, if it does happen to you. You know, there's studies on you know, at least on the small, medium-sized firms, over half of them don't survive, you know, data breaches or things, major events like that. But in terms of, you know, getting hacked or other things, it just it just seems to be that, well, it happens to everyone. So, you know, I don't necessarily have to take it too seriously. And so when you create incentives like this through insurance, I think people take it more seriously. Yes, yes. But I think, you know, companies obviously don't want to rely on just insurance. I think you have to have good security controls and then you have to make the assumption that you've already been attacked. Uh, you will be compromised. So what do you do about it? You know, obviously, you know, backing up your environment uh, and then having insurance, you know, is, is going to be good ways to uh, recover or you know, protect your organization. Oh, no. Yeah. What, what I meant was the insurance creates an incentive for people to take cybersecurity seriously because now there's a reward. And yes. you know, there's yes. a reward in yes. that, oh, it saves me money. Sure, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. <laughs> and Because uh, right. I remember I, I saw a study, this would have been about five years ago, and uh, about 75% of, this was a global study, of um, CEOs said they they were fairly certain they weren't doing enough on cybersecurity. And, and so... How do you, if that's if if that high, if the numbers that high, it has to be something that, to incentivize them to do it, and you know that seems to be a logical choice. So we only have a few minutes left. If if people want to learn more about you, what you guys are offering, and and how, why don't you explain briefly how, how do you fit into addressing you know this type of problem? Sure. So there's several things that we do as an organization and a uh, security services provider. Uh, so you can read about uh, what we provide for companies on our website at proficio.com, P-R-O-F-I-C-I-O.com. And, you know, along the lines of providing complete security services for companies, the first thing that we uh, do is we can provide a, a vulnerability assessment uh, through uh, security assessments of your existing security controls and environment and vulnerabilities and then provide you with what your uh, risk is for certain types of attacks and what we 
uh, would recommend as new control infrastructures or processes. Uh, the second thing that we do, which is our primary business, is we provide security monitoring, investigation, alerting, and response uh, for companies that uh, have security controls but may not have enough people on their security teams to actually monitor all of the logs from all their security systems, uh, investigate whether it's something that's actionable or false positive, uh, and then actually be able to respond to those uh, incidents. Uh, that's probably our, our main business is acting as their security operations center as a service. Uh, and then we also provide uh, managed security services. So companies uh, need assistance in managing their security systems, whether it's at the perimeter like firewalls and intrusion uh, prevention systems, or if it's uh, all the way down, uh, you know, at the desktop and, and managing their security controls for endpoint solutions. Uh, we help companies in doing that as well. And uh, what we've seen is a lot of organizations are challenged with hiring security professionals these days because there's a tremendous demand for uh, experienced security professionals. The latest we've seen in statistics are uh, for every 10 job postings that are out there for a security professional, only three of those get filled uh, within six months. So there's a lot more demand for uh, people uh, that can provide security than there is for people that actually uh, are experienced with it. The companies are looking to outsource that and, and supplement their existing teams, uh, companies like Proficio and others. Now, is, are there any events or are you going to be doing any um, webinars or podcasts or any place you know you want people to, to look for you? That would be great, yes. We have a upcoming, as you know, we talked about health care today, we have uh, an upcoming healthcare webinar, I believe, in uh, the June timeframe, and then we have a financial services uh, webinar coming up in the July timeframe, and we'll discuss best practices for uh, protecting against emerging threats uh, in those, and we'll uh, provide a discussion of some use cases. So, you know, we'll talk about uh, things that have happened recently to organizations uh, and how, uh, you know, they were... Uh, uh, recovering from those, uh, how the uh, incidents were discovered and how the incidents have been responded to and some best practices for companies uh, to provide detection and incident response in a timely manner to prevent uh, breaches. One of the interesting things that uh, we try to educate companies on is when you hear about a breach, often in the press we'll hear that it's a single event that occurred that caused the breach. You know, somebody lost a credential, you know, or right. a password, or there was some type of a vulnerability or some type of a, you know, malware variant. And actually, it's never a single event that causes the actual breach where data gets out of an organization or, or is uh, actually uh, corrupted. There's a series typically of about uh, 8 to 11 events that occur in process. So if someone is an attacker, they're going to do reconnaissance. They're going to search and investigate your network, your people, your infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They're going to look for what uh, you know they can get access to. Brad, we're, from the we're outside afraid we're, we're out of time, but uh, I want to okay. thank you. And again, I'm Brad Taylor, the CEO of Perficio. I want to thank you for um, everything today. It's been instructive. And um, so check them out. Um, is a website and all this information is on the show notes. Um, check out Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net. We're a full service firm um, dealing with internet law. And um, this is Bennett Kelly. Tune in next week to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report right here on Cranberry Radio. Have a great week, everyone. 
opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.